Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into a big show as your week begins. You've taken in MLS. You've taken in El Clasico. You took in United Liverpool. And the storylines abound across the world of soccer today. That's why we're here. That's why we show up every day at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern. Because there's always something happening. The joys of being a soccer fan in the modern world mean you can watch everything, you can follow everything, you can uh, you can come here and talk about everything, and we're going to do that today. Two excellent guests on the program, Charlie Bohm, our friend from MLSsoccer.com, SoccerWire.com, USsoccerplayers.com. He'll join us to do a, re- uh, a review of the MLS weekend. Three games with no goals, but we did have some excitement. Avaya Stadium opens up, the New York Red Bulls put on a show for their fans as they attempt to win those guys back up there in Jersey. And Robert Andrew Powell, the author of This Love is Not for Cowards, uh, about uh, Ciudad Juarez and soccer in that city, has written a piece at Howler on the effort to put an MLS team in Miami. Now, specifically, Robert uh, interviewed Marcelo Corre, the Bolivian billionaire, now president of Sprint, CEO of Sprint, excuse me, who is the money behind the David Beckham bid to put a team in Miami. There's a lot to unpack in this in this piece from Robert Andrew Powell, and we'll talk to him about that, including the question of whether or not either Chloe or Beckham are on the scene enough in Miami to actually make this thing happen. But we do have headlines, and let's do that. Let's get those uh, underway. So again, Charlie Bohm, then Robert, you're writing this down. I mean, clearly you're writing this down. And then we'll do the phone calls and the tweets and everything else, as we always do. Here are your headlines. El Clasico Barcelona wins 2-1 at the Camp Nou with a goal, a goal from Luis Suarez to uh, to take the lead in the 56th minute that the uh, Barcelona then held on to. 11 yellow cards in the match. Four-point lead now for Barcelona in La Liga by virtue of the win. And you just can't imagine them dropping enough points and Real Madrid climbing back enough that they can catch them now. Uh, Real Madrid is uh, one of the best teams in the world, and yet here they have dug themselves a bit of a hole over the last month or so. Gareth Bale's not a popular guy <laughs> in Spain, well, in, in Madrid, as it is. In fact, he was he was uh, not only denied a rating by one of the Spanish papers, I think it was, is it AS? One of the Spanish papers didn't give him a rating because they thought he was that bad in this game. And a fan punched his Bentley as he was leaving the stadium. I mean, come on, people. Why are we going to be punching Bentleys? Poor Gareth Bale. I'm kidding, of course. Money-wise, the guy is set for life. This may be a difficult stretch. He's still an incredibly talented player. There's rumors swirling around that maybe United will buy him. There's a lot of things happening in Gareth Bale's world. Uh, It's not going that great right now in terms of the media heat on him. But again, the question now is, and I'm not in Spain and I'm sure we'll grab David Cartledge in, in the next couple of days or next week or so to talk this out, but I don't understand the heat that comes on comes down on Gareth Bale. Ronaldo gets a little bit of it. I'm in that 30th birthday party situation. But I don't I, I don't get why they hate Gareth Bale so much. Maybe expectations are just too high when you're the most expensive player in the history of the game. In England, I mentioned this as well, uh, Manchester United beating Liverpool, uh, Juan Mata with two goals. Steven Gerrard comes on at halftime. He's on the field for 38 seconds. 
and picks up a red card. That's not really good. It's not the way you want to, you know, it's not the way you want to go out against a rival. Your final match, that is the final match. They haven't played, they've already played twice, right? The final match against United for Steven Gerrard in a Liverpool jersey, I'm guessing. And he gets a red card and his team loses. And now Liverpool's going to have a much more difficult time catching United for one of those Champions League spots. The U.S. men's national team roster for a couple of friendlies, Denmark and Switzerland, is out. U.S. soccer dropped uh, three different rosters, as a matter of fact, all at the same time. We'll call that a roster dump, I guess. The senior team, which includes William Yarborough, Ventura Alvarado, who you've heard us talk about a lot on this show with our friends down in Mexico. Uh, Julian Green is on this team. Rubio Rubin up top. Josie Altidore, Clint Dempsey, obviously. Some interesting choices for Jurgen Klinsmann, we'll get further into this roster maybe later on in the show. Certainly take your phone calls and your thoughts on the guys that were called up, the guys that were not called up. Uh, you also had a U23 roster littered with some guys that you may not have heard of yet. I'm on that boat as well. I don't think that I have a, a, a dossier on every one of these guys. But uh, as Andy Herzog puts together a team to sort out his depth ahead of a Olympic qualifying, uh, qualifying campaign, there's going to be some some names in there that we just don't know yet, in addition to the names like Will Packwood, who's in this team, uh, some other players that you've heard of, certainly Will Trapp in the midfield. Uh, then there's a U-20 team as well, uh, Tab Ramos coming, calling up a bunch of guys. I'm not even going to review that at the moment. Uh, we'll, perhaps we can get into that a little bit later as well. Uh, the, the One of the more interesting elements of the seniors team is naturally Julian Green because of his situation in Hamburg. And I see that there's a story out from our, fr- our friend Kyle McCarthy over at Fox Soccer this morning. He's in Germany. He has talked to Kyle's, Karl Heinz Rummenegger from Bayern Munich, who has given uh, Kyle assurances that Julian Green is the type of player that can one day uh, feature for Bayern Munich. That's not It hasn't happened yet. He's got a ways to go. He needs to sort out things at Hamburg. He's in this uh, in this national team picture still. We'll see what Jurgen Klinsmann intends to do with the youngster. In MLS, and again, we'll review all of this with uh, Charlie Bowman in just a couple of minutes, San Jose opened up Avaya Stadium with a 2-1 win over the Chicago Fire. New York beats D.C. United 2-0 with strong performances from Bradley Wright Phillips, a goal and assist, and a goal for Lloyd Sam. Uh, and Bradley Wright Phillips, in the in, in, speaking to the media after the game, saying, hey, if this doesn't win over the fans or win back the fans, I don't know what will. They were certainly dominant. DC United did very little uh, in the attacking end to threaten a, a new back line for New York. Maybe this gets uh, Jesse Marsh just a little bit of credit up there at Red Bull Arena when it comes to the fans. I just watched, uh, we, we tweeted this out where from Best Soccer Show, Trevor, the, uh, <laughs> the New York Red Bulls season preview video. It's like a minute and a half of the weirdest stuff you've ever seen. <laughs> very good. <laughs> and uh, included... Uh, featured heavily in the said video is uh, those gentlemen at the town hall meeting with Ali Curtis, uh, Jesse Marsh, and and the group yelling, "Why did you fire Mike Pecky?" Uh, in <laughs> lots of curse words being thrown around, as you would expect from our friends up in uh, New York, New Jersey. Uh, three goalless games, as I mentioned. I'm not even going to mention. I'm not even going to go into those right now. Perhaps we'll look at those with Charlie in a couple seconds. Don Garber at halftime of that game in San Jose. Uh, between the fire and the earthquakes, interviewed by Alexi Lawless when it came to expansion. This is, seems to be all Don Garber is doing these days, is talking expansion. The league attempts to figure out exactly how big it wants to be, and Garber says, hey, we're going to review how big we want to be. 
We're at 24. We're coming close to 24. Are we going to go well past that? Are we going to stick in the area? It, it, it remains to be seen. The Miami situation has come up, and Don Garber was specifically asked about some of the comments in that story that we're going to talk to uh, to talk about with Robert Andrew Powell. And one of them is the communist nature of MLS. And all of this stuff will come up when we talk to, to Robert. But I thought Garber's defense of his league was fascinating. In fact, in the sense that he doubled down on single entity. So if you have uh, if you're harboring dreams of MLS moving away from single entity anytime soon, I am uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to crush those dreams. I, Don Garber crushed them. I didn't do it. Wait a second. I'm not taking responsibility for that. It's not happening. On the other side of this break, Charlie Bohm will join us. We'll talk about all of those MLS games from the weekend. It's Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Stay right there. Be right back. The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan, and Pogba, is on Dishworld's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. Dishworld is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dishworld. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dishworld. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, talking a little MLS with our friend Charlie Bohm from USsoccerplayers.com, SoccerWire.com, MLSsoccer.com, CBOEHM on Twitter. Charlie, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Jason. I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was... Um, it was there were some good things that happened this weekend. Certainly, uh, Avaya Stadium opening up in San Jose is a big deal for the Quakes after their long, long wait. Uh, the Red Bulls put in a strong performance, although at the uh, expense of the team that you cover more than any other DC United. And uh, But we also had three goalless games, and it was just kind of a dud of a weekend in a lot of ways. What would you chalk that up to? Is it just early season kinks being need to work that, be, uh, that need to be worked out? Yeah, I mean, I, I was able to immerse myself more in yesterday's matches and Saturdays, and I feel very fortunate um, <laughs> about that because um, things got a little better yesterday. Uh, you know, it, it's I'm always hesitant to to label, um, you know, make uh, big big conclusions about early season matches, you know, but I think we can we can clearly say that um, there's a, a certain lack of ambition uh, on the part of some coaches and players in MLS right now. And there's a lack of, of quality in the final third. There's a, an inability to finish. A lot of these matches um, have chances created. You know, there's opportunities, but the, the, the people that they're falling to simply aren't getting that job done. Um, and, and, and again, I think that the tactics, there's some coaches that have some things to answer for. If we as the fans, the seats were able to, uh, to make them answer for them, mm. I think there's some coaches that are, that are not exactly setting out um, a swashbuckling approach, you know, that are comfortable to, to be risk averse at this stage of the season. 
Uh, I think part of that is that, you know, teams are not the finished product yet. There's still evolution happening. There's injuries, there's suspensions, there's, um, team, you know, mid-season arrivals that are already known about. Um, but then, you know, there's also, um, you know, there's also teams that are comfortable, um, picking up a point here or there or just, you know, aren't good enough. Yeah. I think you're right about this. And I think there's a, you, you have to look at each, each individual team to figure out what it is specifically about them. I mean, as you said, you can't draw a big, generalization that everybody's playing it close to the vest this this early because I would imagine New England would be fine to be swashbuckling a little bit more except they've got some issues they've got some injuries same thing for, mm-hmm. for Montreal who couldn't score against them and and we don't know what to expect of Montreal yet despite the CONCACAF Champions League run I don't really want to focus on the games that didn't have any goals and yet there are a couple of of things out of them um did you did you see anything of interest in terms of uh, and there is a game that did produce one goal that Vancouver went over Orlando down at the Citrus Bowl. Um, anything that you take take away for the two expansion teams? Because I'm closely watching what they're doing early in the season. Right, and you know, one thing I neglected to mention before too, I don't think it's really to say that we may already be seeing the consequences of um, MLS's lax playoff qualification standards getting loosened even further, Ooh. right? We're looking at 12 out of 20 teams wow. that are going to make the postseason. Yeah. And, uh, you know, w- why, I, it's, it's, I understand why that decision was made, but having watched this league for a long time, I can remember back when 8 of 10, 8 of 12 made it. Um, as those numbers grew and the, and the window got a little tighter, even small tightenings of that playoff window caused an increase in overall intensity and competitiveness across the folds of the season. We're taking a step back. Maybe when we go up to 24 teams or more, that'll, that'll change. But right now, you know, there is a margin for error, and yeah. you can wait around. It used to be you could wait until August or so. I don't think you can wait that late anymore. But there's still um, not necessarily – the system itself doesn't prioritize these early games. You don't have to hit the ground running because a lot of the teams that do hit the ground running um, have been shown to flame out and not sustain it. So, uh, you know, um, that said – Sorry, go ahead. No, I know you said that said. So you obviously had a further thought. Go ahead. No, well, I, I think the the expansion uh, teams you mentioned. It's interesting. I think they're probably in in you know Orlando is certainly hurting right now because they gave up a late goal, but uh, and lost at home. But I think they're both in in better shape than we might have expected at this stage. Um, they've both proven that they can compete. They have you know they have both the the organizational and tactical chops with, with their their coaching staff. And the, the talent, the horses on the field to be able to compete on a on a day to day basis. Certainly, you know, there's plenty ahead. Um, if they get into a bad streak, it, you know, these expansion teams are more likely to sort of have things snowball on them when they go wrong. But right now, uh, I have to give the, the ownership groups and the, the front offices a lot of credit because they they built clubs and and technical staff that can uh, that show, that are seem to be ready relatively soon here. Uh, you know, that said, uh, the as the league finally, you know, the whole gets its legs under it and gets moving with a little more speed, it's going to be up to these clubs to prove that they can keep the pace. Um, you know, but I think Orlando had a little bit of an expansion moment there with giving up that late goal, and they'll learn from that. Uh, the question is whether we'll we'll see corrections for, you know in those situations and if they can avoid that type of thing again. I think I think they also had a, a learning moment in the fact that Kakuta Mane was, remained on the field. Uh, despite a a pretty bad two footed tackle, Charlie. That uh, I mean, that, yeah. so Orlando City fans are getting a lesson in MLS refereeing right now. Well, you know, it, it, I hope that they had at least an inkling of what they're getting into when <laughs> Aurelian Collins signed with the team. Uh, great center back, love his game, 
Um, but some, for some odd reason, these sort of incidents just seem to um, attract attract him, or or he attracts them. Absolutely. All right. So, so again, you know, the the, the goalless games notwithstanding, we had a couple of ex uh, of interesting things happening. Um, let me let me turn to San Jose, and and I you know I'm a little bit more interested in the story of them actually getting that building open and and having a full house and and a, and a home in San Jose after so many years of you know looking and then being relocated, and then coming back into the league and still being forced to play in ill-fitting stadiums. But there is, there's also the element of Dom Kinnear taking over that team and whether or not they're going to take a step forward in 2015. Uh, the, the fire are bad, Charlie. From what I can tell, Harrison Ship doesn't look like he's got much help. But do you actually see positive signs from the Quakes? I, I do. I think there's still questions to answer. Uh, they're starting a couple of young guys at the base of midfield um, in Koval and Alash who... Um, who probably could use a little seasoning. Maybe maybe one of those guys will give way for a veteran tempo setter, um, someone who can who can help control the the, the flow of the match a bit. Because they they got a win yesterday, but they were actually on the back foot for long periods. Most of the second half, uh, the Chicago Fire took the initiative uh, and actually showed that they that there are maybe some reasons for hope up there in the Windy City because it was much better from the Fire than than really future displays in their first couple games. Um, but I think with, with San Jose, you know, Dom Kinnear's ideas, he, he's a very familiar face around there, but in terms of the, the tactical input and the, the philosophy, uh, I think there's a ways to go there yet. But uh, I, I he's one of those guys that I think he's, I think he's content to, to soak up pressure and win that game 2-1. I think he's probably going to be content uh, to pick up points in a few areas uh, where maybe we uh, will be disappointed with what they produced. Uh, you know, I'm uh, my uh, proclivity for young creative American players is pretty well known by now, and uh, one of the most prominent ones, Tommy Thompson, couldn't get off the bench uh-huh. yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and, and we're going to probably see more of that because Dom is is one of the most practical coaches around. Uh, but there's there's certainly signs that that they're going to be able to play um, at a level that's a little bit more nuanced, and a little bit more intellectual than those Houston Dynamo teams of the past, that the Quakes uh, teams of of a decade or so ago. Um, he's got them in a, a 4-2-3-1 that, that provides some, some interesting angles, some interesting options. And um, Innocent Amagara, their new designated player, was a little quieter yesterday than he'd been last week in Seattle, but um, very, very talented player, uh, a real willingness to go at people. I think when you get um, you know him up to full speed and, and maybe get Thompson in the mix, I hope, uh, there'll be some fun angles and, and combination plays possible with, with Chris Wondolowski up top. So. Certainly something to watch there. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Dom being a, one of the most practical coaches in MLS. I almost feel like he's got a number either on his head, in his head, or on a on a poster somewhere in his office. A, a number that he knows it, you know that's what it's going to take to get into the playoffs. It's pro- even if it's just the sixth spot and <laughs> and the very you know because this is what he did in Houston, you know, and, and the fact that they went up to Seattle and and maybe got three points he didn't necessarily expect means. He sort of got a free roll a little bit, and, and okay, you win at home. You you're, you need to win at home. That's a different kind of uh, setup. Uh, but it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how practical he is, and whether we we get any Tommy Thompson. Because I'm completely with you on that one, uh, Charlie. When it comes to uh, when it comes to San Jose. All right, let's uh, let me turn over. Let me go to the to the East Coast and talk about DC United losing to the New York Red Bulls two nothing goals from Bradley Wright Phillips and Lloyd Sam. And I thought you saw. I think. I think what we saw out of the Red Bulls were very, very encouraging signs. Now you could you could chalk this up to DC United being poor, and certainly uh, Ben Olsen wasn't happy with the first half. 
But the Red Bulls look like they can play together without Thierry Henry, figure out a way to create chances, and you do have some danger there with Wright Phillips and Lloyd Sam. Yeah, it was it was impressive. They were ready to play yesterday, and DC United simply were not. But I'm not sure that United, as they stand now, would have would have necessarily been in, in the mix there to, to get three points anyway. Uh, the Red Bulls were were, were prepared. The, the new philosophy from Marsh, um, it's, a, it's an evolution still, not necessarily a revolution. But we're seeing, I, I think we're seeing a lot of reasons for hope for Red Bulls fans that that Henri's not, you know, departure isn't going to cause a, a big drop off. Um, right, Phillips' uh, role is evolving. He's the, the finisher. We've known that for some time now, but he's also can play the, the other aspects of a, of the spearhead in that attack. He's dropping deep. He's he's tracking back. He's holding up play. He's showing to be more of a complete striker, I think, than we gave him credit for. Than we had an opportunity to give him credit for. Um, Sasha Kleshin is is still getting, I think, back adapted back to the paces on the left. Um, but he's you know he's going to continue to grow in stature and, and influence. And then Dax McCarty, I mean, if we want to talk about players that that continually do not get their due in this league or in this country, um, he owned the midfield yesterday, plain and simple, and uh, created the the first goal, set up a, a Red Phillips to the opener, and um, basically just you know, covers ground as intelligently and passes as as, uh, as enterprisingly as any holding mid in the league. So um, big credit to him. They they do have a, a, a little bit of a makeshift defense back there right now. There's mm-hmm. some weak spots. They had a, a recent signing, Kimar Lawrence, signed on Monday, and he's in the starting lineup at left back on Sunday. So there were some weak points to be addressed or to be attacked there, and United just never had the opportunity yeah. because they were absolutely overrun in midfield yeah and they did get a did get a late penalty chance that chris pontius just blew over the bar kind of the summed up the day for dc united and and i you know i was asked by by a very very casual fan uh, about dc united and their prospects this year charlie and i i didn't really know what to say um you know obviously first place in the east last year uh was a, a, an achievement that nobody saw coming but I'm not sure that we're we're really settled on where they are. And they've, they've got injury issues clearly, and a Spindola being suspended is a big deal for them. But what are they going to be ultimately? Well, you know, Ben Olsen um, in his um, salty tirade yesterday, you know, his, his remedial remarks, he's made clear his frustration with their uh, lack of competitiveness, their lack of intensity from the off. You know, both teams are coming off a of bye week. Um, one team looked like they're they had taken all the benefits from the bye week, and another looked like they had fallen prey to all the uh, the dangers of a bye week. United were sluggish, um, short on ideas. And, you know, my biggest issue with this team, even last year, and I think it came, uh, to light in the playoffs. This is an efficient team. Uh, it's the way Olsen has built them. He wants them to, uh, you know, to, to not provide opportunities, to control, um, his defensive third, right? And then build up from there. And the problem is that when Fabian Espindle is out or is off and suspended at the moment, uh, and maybe one or two other, you know, Pontius and De Leon aren't necessarily clicking in the attack, then it starts to look really stagnant uh, up front for United. They don't have, um, they, you know, they don't they, they have a, a destroyer in Perry Kitchen uh, at, at holding mid. Whereas when you compare him to someone like Dak, you know, is he does he have that artful ability to set the the attack on its way? I, I'm not sure that that's necessarily in, in Perry Kitchen's skill set. Right. So when you add up all those things, you've got a team that can look very, very stagnant. And that's what the, how they look at the moment. They, you know, he, he thinks they should still be competing and, you know, maybe, maybe one goal, scoreless goal games, that sort of thing. But, um, I think the bigger problem is, you know, where's the, where's the Zaz here? 
Breaking news, by the way, Charlie, before we come back to the results from the weekend, uh, the guys over at Northern Pitch, Bruce McGuire, is reporting that uh, MLS will announce a Minnesota uh, expansion on Wednesday at a press conference at Target Field. So Wednesday morning, I, th- I think he says, I think it says uh, 10 a.m. Central Time uh, will be the, uh, the, the announcement. So it's 11 o'clock here. Minnesota coming in. You got any thoughts on that? Oh, I mean, I think it's an exciting moment for both that region, that that metropolis, that club, uh, and the league as a whole. I mean, the, the what Minnesota United have done is simply fantastic. I mean, that was a perennially troubled uh, lower division franchise, you know, series of franchises, um, and with some very smart management decisions and, and smart connections and relationships with the fan base there in, in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul. They've built something really special. They're they're a role model for any club at any level in this country, and I certainly was pleasantly surprised that um, that they got the the nod over the Vikings uh, NFL attempt, you know, to um, to join into MLS. So I think it's a it's a huge benefit for everyone involved. Certainly, there are advocates and devotees of the lower divisions that are frustrated that they feel that they that something very special and promising in NFL has been co-opted. But again, you know, when we talk about free will, this is a group that, that wants to be in MLS and has proven amply that they deserve to be there. And, and the best badge in the league immediately, right? <laughs> it's up there. The branding is fantastic. Well, the the I, logo. I say good. that because, yeah. but I don't know if they're going to change. Orlando City changed from their USL badge to the their MLS badge, so I don't. Maybe they would t- have to change. I don't know how that works. Yeah, it's a great question. Maybe there's some copyright issues there, but I certainly hope there's not significant uh, adjustments made because it'd be a fresh, you know, a fresh colors, uh, a fresh approach uh, coming into the league. Let me uh, okay. Let's get back to the events on the field from the weekend. One of the matches that happened Saturday, although it was supposed to happen on Friday night, was uh, FC Dallas in Chester to take on the Philadelphia Union. Zach Pfeffer lost his mind. I don't know what happened there, Charlie, and and the Union go down two nothing to Dallas. And I think right now, uh, you know, barring any other real candidates, you have to put Dallas on the top of the heap as the best team in the league. Yeah, let's go by results. I think there's many that are still waiting to see how they do uh, in a real showcase match against the likes of L.A. or Seattle. But with with the information we have in front of us now, what they've done on the field, they've earned it. Um, I'm a huge fan of what Oscar Prey has done down there. Um, They they just sort of continued on with the momentum they had last year. Um, I think he's one of the smartest, not only at, at, at developing players, but finding ways to put them to use and put it all together into a coherent product on the field. Um, I'm still, I'm still not sure they've reached their peak or that they're anywhere near their peak either because, um, Mauro Diaz is one of the truly great playmakers in this league. They're still not fully integrated into that team. Um, I think he can run, he can be the engine at the heart of that team, but they can also play in ways that are more direct and, and a little more angular, um, without him. So you know, still, still more to come from them. I think so. Uh, but yeah, go. You know, and I, I would, I would urge fans, neutrals, and and casual fans uh, alike to go check out FC Dallas. Cause they're fun to watch. Do you think that they're caught in between? Then I mean, look, I, I trust Perea to know what he's doing, and I think last year when Diaz went down, they changed the way that they played into a, an effective style for what the, the personnel that they had and that's a credit to Pereja but when they now that they have Moro Diaz back and completely healthy and as you said one of the best playmakers in the league it feels like they're not fully utilizing him and yet here they are being successful yeah I mean I think they, they had they've, they've had him for a while now he's been with that team for some time but he spent much of that time I think probably the majority of his time in MLS been injured um, so 
they you know they had to adapt. He's not the type of player that just needs to really plug a, a, a reserve in and, and continue as he works. So um, last year they adapted. Uh, they got more direct. Um, they're excellent in transition. I mean, the, the, um, some of the, the speed and efficiency with which the FCD can transition from defense to attack is really, really impressive. Um, so I think, you know, a good coach keeps those, you know, multiple clubs in the bag and, and gives himself and his team multiple options. So the question is, you know, what's the, what's option A? And I'm still not certain that, that Mauro's teammates, um, you know, are comfortable and, and understand what it means to make him option A and, and, and make that, that possession and the build up, you know, the movements, uh, their first choice. Because right now, you know, I watched the, the Kansas City game two, a couple weeks ago and, uh, he goes off, had a great game, but wasn't fully impactful and they almost immediately score one of the best, uh, transition goals of the season so far. So questions to answer, but they're good questions to have. Uh, and on the other side, the union, um, your your impressions of them so far. And again, I, I I don't know how Pfeffer is going to claim that that was an accident. That that it, it clearly looked like he raised his elbow to hit Diaz in the head, and and that's sort of just indicative of the way things have gone for Philly so far. Yeah, I think I think the and that's a market where you know the highs and lows are a little more pronounced because of the the intensity of the fans and the expectations of the fans. But what I saw and without seeing the full ninety minutes there was a team that. Um, you know, last year when they changed coaches and Jim Curtin came in, he found a way to take a, a, a current group of players he had uh, and improve everyone's performances and contribution in a short period of time across the board. Now we're not, we're not seeing that those levels of performance. For example, Kesho Akindele's goal, I saw three, four, five players in a string all make poor decisions, um, you know, poor fundamentals. And, and it all added up to a really, really cheaply conceded goal. And it was players making, you know, simply not, not being prepared for the moment at hand. Um, I think if, you know, I don't know whether it's going to require some, some lineup changes or some tweaks or something, but right now Curtin is, I think he's a little too concerned about, um, his team playing, playing risk, low risk soccer. And he needs to be more concerned about getting his guys to blossom a little better and, and be better individually because he, there's no question that there's enough talent there for them to easily be a playoff team. But right now they're just, they're not meeting their own expectations. Uh, you know, I'm going to latch on to this idea that you had that maybe uh, coaches are being a more conservative and more practical in the beginning of the season or, or, or in 2015 in general because there are now 12 playoff spots, six in each conference available. And you, the, the bar to meet uh, that standard is not as high as it, as it used to be. Because, I, I, I mean, I, wh- who doesn't want to see at least some of these teams really just let it fly? And, and I, I, I can't blame the coaches necessarily if they don't have incentive to do so, Charlie, but that's, that's something that the league should be concerned about. I certainly think so, yeah. But you know, these coaches are practical. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, I mean, I think that's the, the one overriding characteristic you'll see across the board. Uh, most of these guys are, are not going to um, you know, put their – uh, their ideological preferences or their, their desires for the big picture of the league ahead of their own job security, their own goals. And right now, you certainly can't win the league in the first two months of the season, but you can put yourself in a really tough position. You can almost lose the league. Um, so I think they feel like, you know, let's get through this. Let's get back to our best. Uh, whether you're waiting on injuries, whether you're waiting on your, your, your new arrivals to click, uh, there's just not a lot of reasons to take risks. And, you know, the, the league, I think, has a very consciously chosen a structure in which um, everybody or a majority of teams are in contention, have something to play for down the stretch as late as possible in the season. 
totally understand that. There's certainly merit to that. But uh, especially the new TV deal with, with your product reaching new audiences right now in a bigger, more prominent place in the media than it's been it's a long time, maybe ever, um, you're still making an impression. You're, you know, even if it's not the coach's job to make a first impression on fans and servers, it's, it's the league as a collective. And so what you've done, I mean, this is just the, the, the logical and should have been a foreseen consequence of the, the format change. I don't know. I, hopefully they think these things through. Hopefully there's somebody there going, hey, guys, practically speaking, this, is, this might be an issue when the Board of Governors takes up these, these questions. But again, they have their bottom lines. I, I don't want to make it completely cynical. And as you said, there is something to be said for a race at the end of the season and, and giving uh, more fans the opportunity to, to believe that their team has hope. But uh, yeah, right now it's, it's not looking great. If we have another week where there are multiple goalless games, Charlie, there's going to be some, some serious heat to, to be applied or should be applied. Uh, let me turn to a game that produced a couple of goals, LA Galaxy and the Houston Dynamo. Um, I, I, not that this is a surprising result, it is MLS, but the fact that the Galaxy have yet to really figure things out um, in the post-Donovan era, is that, is that, again, is that just more early season tweaking? Is, is Bruce playing it close to the vest, or is this a, a situation where they should be troubled ahead of uh, Steven Gerrard's arrival in the summer? I don't think so. I, I think, well, you know, you, you have a player in, in Robbie Keane who kind of gives you an example, a little example of that attitude that you want to see across the league, right? He's, he's not a player who takes days, weeks, games, moments off. It, he's, he's always turned on. He's always demanding more from his teammates. He made, made it very clear after that match that he was um, underwhelmed and disappointed with, with the guys around him and their performances. And, and I think that, you know, that's a big aspect of it that they should play, right? It's not just the quality on the field. It's the attitude and mentality. So, um, you know, at, at LA has made home, uh, sorry, stuff up center a fortress uh, for some time now. Uh, they're not going to be happy to see, especially a team like Houston, that's their own identity is still in flux, come in and, and, um, and sort of engineer that kind of result. So I think we'll see a response from LA, but, but Bruce knows as well as anyone that, um, you know, he wants to be good right now, but he doesn't have to be great. Um, and I think, you know, you're going to see frustration from the likes of Keen who want to be great every moment. Um, but that's, you know, LA because of their system, they have a system, they have a philosophy, and I think you'll you'll see the, the logical correct correction over time. Um, so for, for the time being, I'm not quite willing to, to attribute too much uh, meaning to this match, but we may have seen a, a blueprint for a team to visit uh, Stoneham Center, you know, to go in there and try and get try and exploit some individual matchups, uh, keep things tight, and of course, you know, we, you've got to talk about Tyler Derrick. Mm-hmm. You know the best goalkeeper in the league right now. I'd say fairly clearly. But yeah, I mean, if if not for that uh, that that mistake last week, I mean, it, there would be no question at all in most people's minds. And maybe uh, maybe his um uh, his emergence is a little bit of a surprise for people, especially uh, because I, I think that people scratch their heads a bit when Tally Hall was let go. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but you know, a good goalkeeper in this league and any league and any any level in the world. Um, you know, they can take you places that you could never imagine them going as a team uh, otherwise. And, um, you know, they've, there's, there's a, a again, a, an assembly line there that they're starting to build. I think the Dynamo have a huge amount of local talent that they're only beginning to exploit. And there's a great example of someone who's come up through the system, spent a little time in the club um, before he was uh, given an opportunity to contend for a starting spot. And so he's carrying a little bit of history there as well, a little bit of hometown pride. and and is um, is taking his chance, you know, and it's 
certainly harsh justice that he, he was the GOAT last week, but he still had a great game uh, besides that moment against Orlando, and I think we're going to see more of the same, and you've got to put him in your uh, short list of you know biggest uh, impressions, maybe biggest surprises of the young season thus far. Very, very quickly, Charlie, before I let you go, um, do you think Owen Coyle's done anything differently in Houston, or do you think he's still kind of letting his feet get wet before he makes any significant alterations to the way that they play? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's got. Um, I think he's got some of his own learning to do. You can study films of, of a new league. You can spend time in, in your new community and sort of try and do your homework. Um, but it's the, the weekly grind of matches are where Coyle is going to pick up the knowledge he needs to really fulfill the goals that he and the club have. And so you know, I, I think we're seeing some small differences here. Um, but some of their, their performances, you know, great results this week, but the, the first couple weeks is really rough for them. There was some really poor play from the Dynamo. So I think they are still figuring out a little bit of their identity, who their go-to players are going to be, um, you know, how things are going to work going forward. Um, but, you know, Coral, Coral has, has certainly has a ways to go here, but um, at least reasons to watch, right, for sure, because he's an interesting character to have here in, in the States. And I'm certainly intrigued to see how he does when he builds that sample size and, and gets a deeper understanding of what's going to be called for week in, week out. Charlie Bohm from MLSsoccer.com, USsoccerplayers.com, and Soccer Wire. Uh, read his work over there. Follow him on Twitter at CBOEHM. I'm going to give Washington on Twitter the last word here just to make it, uh, to give us a little bit of hope out of uh, a, a, a pretty dreary weekend. He says, I hate scoreless games too, but just trying to be open minded isn't scoreless games a tribute to the team's defense? So there's, there's your, the, the good way to look at it. Charlie, thank you for your time, man. Let's, Let's take a break. When we come back, Robert Andrew Powell will join us to talk about his Howler piece on the Miami effort uh, to bring MLS to South Florida. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan, and Pogba, is on Dishworld's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. Dishworld is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dishworld. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dishworld. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning with a gentleman on the line I've been very much looking forward to speaking with. Robert Andrew Powell he is the author of This Love Is Not For Cowards, so it's the soccer book, Salvation in Soccer and Ciudad Juarez, which you've heard about. We talked about with him before, but he's here to talk about his story in Howler Magazine on MLS in Miami. Robert, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, first, let me ask you something very basic, uh, and, and we'll give a little background for people who don't know about this piece or don't know what's contained mm-hmm. therein, but were you, were you at all surprised by the backlash? I, yeah, definitely. I, I've written two other stories for Howler, um, 
that were quietly received. And so um, this must have hit some sweet spot for a, a whole bunch of people that I wasn't expecting in any way. Um, yeah. Now, th- this is the story. The, the story is, is initially it's, it's clearly about Marcelo Clore, the Bol- Bolivian yeah. billionaire uh, telecommunications giant who is now the CEO of Sprint, who is the, uh, the money behind the David Beckham-led bid to put up an MLS team in Miami. Um, and you talk about how you spent some time with him in Kansas City at a sporting match. Uh, that's where some yeah. of the question, uh, where some of the quotes come from that were uh, eventually questioned by by some of the people who said them. Um, but it, it ultimately becomes a little bit more of a who are, who is this guy? I mean, you, you're there with him, and then the piece ends up being about uh, more about how uh, it's unclear exactly what his motivations are, or or even maybe where he comes from. In the beginning, I mean, again, yeah. sort of. How do you how do you think of Marcelo Clore now after the experience that you had? I I have a lot of questions about the guy. I um, I had questions. Let let me tell you how like this story evolved. Um, they announced over a year ago that there was going to be the the team in Miami, and Clare was the third investor with uh, David Beckham and Simon Fuller, the guy from American Idol, and it was understood that there was going to be a team and it was going to progress. And, and so I just set out to do a story about the owner that probably people didn't know and who I found interesting. Um, and it was going to be about Bolivia. Uh, is a Bolivian. Um, he's one of the most famous people in Bolivia. Um, he's the richest Bolivian alive and he's obviously a capitalist and yet he's, very tight with the socialist anti-American um, leader of Bolivia, Evo Morales. And so I, we went to Bolivia and we thought that the team would happen. And, and as we kept going on, like this team isn't happening right. and, 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 and the story evolved. And um, initially, you know, I, I framed the whole story around at the beginning is, you know, I had this day with him in Kansas City. We got along, um, you know, remarkably well. Like, he, he's been, you know, even intimate with me, telling me stuff, you know, about his divorce. And um, suddenly I'm just completely cut off, like, immediately. Like, I hadn't spilled a drink on him. I didn't insult his <laughs> wife. I didn't, you know, like, I yeah. hadn't even asked any hard questions of anyone at that point. I wasn't asking around. I got cut off in a way that reminded me of what he'd said about this small magazine called Departures. And now just because David Beckham didn't like him, they suddenly got completely cut off. Um, and, and when that happened, I was really curious, but I still intended to write about the Bolivia. And, um, and I was trying to talk to his brother, who's the president of the Bolivia team that Clare owns. And he wouldn't talk to me either. And and I spent my third day at his office trying to get a hold of this guy. And I couldn't get a hold of him. And so I was driving home. I decided, well, I'm out here. Um, I'm going to go to Miami City Hall and try to talk to the mayor. And immediately the mayor sees me. You know, and it was a real contrast with um, MLS Miami, which has a stone wall up. And... And and when I talked to the mayor, we still talked about Evo Morales. We talked about Bolivia, but he also talked to me a bit about his relationship with Beckham Group and how distracted they, distanced they seem from it, like just really not very involved. And that's when the story started to mutate. Um, 
basically as I drove home from talking to the man. Well, it, it's interesting to me, and the person, uh, you know, the writer in me, the guy who likes a good story, is yeah. it's mostly fascinated with sort of how. When I thought of, you know, previous to your, to reading your, your piece, it was Marcelo Clore. Okay. He's a Bolivian billionaire, tele- whatever. I, I didn't know his background, yeah. but he just seemed All like right. another, you know, successful capitalist, for lack of a better way of saying right. it. Sure. And he got more mysterious as your piece went along. And I didn't realize he was going to be any sort of mystery. I thought he was just a, a rich guy who likes soccer. I, I didn't either. <laughs> I, I thought this was going to be about Bolivia and Evo Morales and, and just the interesting relationship between these two guys. That's, you know, I mean, stories often mutate, but where this ended up is far away from where I started. And and you actually, you do get into some of the nuts and bolts of the Miami bid. And as you said, you spoke to the mayor. And I I think for for MLS fans, for soccer fans, especially those in South Florida, uh, Robert, and I know we're getting some pushback on Twitter right now because we're talking to you. (laughs) <laughs> they're they're frustrated. They're they're obviously frustrated. But I think what's interesting is that it's pretty clear the picture that you draw and the information that you were able to glean is that we're talking about two absentee guys. I don't know where Simon Fuller's based, but it's probably not Miami. We're talking about Beckham and Corey. Well, I he's in LA. Yeah. Okay. So, so three. So yeah. you got three absentee individuals who are supposed to be trying to put a team in the city, and I just don't know who's the who's lobbying. I mean, are they outsourcing everything? Well, how effective can that be? So they, are, they are outsourcing, and and um, you know they they hired a new publicist recent. I mean, a new lobbyist recently that I know, a woman named Rosario Kennedy. She's a player locally. I don't think this thing is dead. Um, and you know, yesterday Garber, when he talked to Alexi Lalas, said, you know, he'll be here in two weeks, and and we could have something in two weeks, and that that wouldn't. That wouldn't shock me. Um, but if, you know, if they do have an announcement in two weeks and if Beckham is there, that'll be Beckham's first visit to Miami since before the World Cup. You know, yeah, like I, these people are not engaged the way, um, you know, the, I guess the way they want us to believe. Well, I also, I also contrast it with, okay, Minnesota, it's, it's in the news. Minnesota's going to get their team right. and the league's going right. to make an announcement this week. They've got a local owner, a guy who's invested in a local soccer team at a lower level, yeah. a guy who's a Minnesota native. Sacramento's got an entire community behind them, and the mayor is leading the charge. Um, right. San Antonio's obviously got local ownership that is bad. Miami just doesn't have that. And I, and I don't, I don't think, I think it's, Again, it's unfortunate for the fans of Miami who want to see MLS come back to that city, Robert. But for for the rest of us, it just it doesn't doesn't seem right, and it seems again like MLS is is just bending over for Beckham, and maybe that's the maybe, maybe that's the way to go. I don't know. Well, this is um, a long time ago. Uh, I had made a comment um, to, to another respected journalist that it seemed like. MLS wanted to be in Miami more than Miami wanted MLS, and he agreed with me. Um, I, I get the impression that's still the case. It could work here, but when I think about the prospects of MLS in Miami, I think of something Ray Hudson, the announcer, said to me. He used to coach the Fusion. Right. And he said, it can be done, but they have to hit all the bullseyes perfectly. Mm-hmm. And this is not a, an, an optimistic start because they are not hitting the bullseyes perfectly. It could be done. It still can be done, but it's it's looking um, shakier. Um, even though I mean, I mean, Miami, the leadership, the political leadership in Miami, really seems to want this, and I think they're. I get the impression they're trying to accommodate Beckham. Um, so, 
Well, but but it, your yeah. your piece kind of outlines the fact that maybe they're the Beckham Group isn't. I don't know if this is unfair or not. Maybe they're not doing the legwork necessary to get the pieces in place so that the politician can say yes, please do this because the politicians are up against you know uh, some some pretty incredible interest when it came to the Port Miami right. site, which didn't ever course, seem like. Definitely, it was be- yeah. So the so biggest, the biggest yeah the biggest players in Miami were like, no, that's not going to happen. It very much and seems like a help right. help us help you sort of thing, and it doesn't seem as yeah, I though. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It, right. seem, a- it doesn't seem as though Beckham's group is doing the the part their part. It doesn't seem that way to me either. To this point, um, I, I, it, it seems a real cavalier like hey we're just going to show up and we're going to ask for the moon and surprise that they didn't get it and and surprise you know you know one one thing that concerns me going forward is beckham says you know look i'm going to i'm going to be the guy running the team i'm going to take this seriously this is a priority to me and what has he done in the past year he hasn't been here he's not engaged in this so if mls gets a team here and i i guess i would bet that they will and again, it might be announced in two weeks. Um, can we really expect Beckham to be, you know, working out trades and and being engaged in the team and living in Miami? I, I you know, I doubt it based on what he's been doing for the past year. I, I'd love to. I would love to see David Beckham at the uh, at the table at an MLS Super Draft. Robert, that would yeah, be amazing. Right. Well, uh, I mean, but the, I mean that that job is available to uh, him, absolutely. and he talked about like how he's going to run the team, and okay. Yeah, you know, if you want to go ahead. Yeah, some of the other elements coming out of this again. This is mostly about Miami. Uh, it's obviously right. a little bit about Marcelo Corre and you going down to La Paz yeah. and trying to get the Bolivian side of things. But uh, some of the things that were said to you uh, or yeah. said in your presence are in the story and have been. Uh, again, the, there's some backlash, and this has come from both Clore's people. Uh, I'm assuming not him yeah. directly, and Sporting Kansas City. And, and let me start with the uh, the communist element because. Marcelo Corre yeah. makes a, com- a comment about MLS being communist, and, and Don Garber has to address it in Alexi Lawless's interview yesterday. Um, is that something that uh, is that something you were surprised to hear? Is that I mean that sort of fits what I would expect an owner sh- an owner to say? It didn't. It didn't stand out to me at all, and he said it more than once, and I noted it. But I understood what he was saying. It was about he was talking about the central ownership, and perhaps that's an inflammatory word. But as he said it to me it didn't really stand out. I knew what he was saying. He's like, he likes MLS because it's centrally owned. It's because, um, you know, owners, you know, the league has control over the players as opposed to the other way around. It's, it's easier to control costs. And he thinks this is the model for the future. Like this is a reason why MLS will eventually stand as the top league in the world, right. which I don't, I mean, which is debatable. Sure. But that was the point he was trying to make. Mm-hmm. And I understood what he was saying. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, I knew that the Kansas City comment would be a bit inflammatory, but I didn't think the communist thing would stand out. I was surprised that Clary objected to it. Well, look, I even, mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't really know what to say about the the sporting Kansas City element, other than you know, from your perspective, uh, again, su- surprised that uh, that the team hit back and said, "Look, oh, we're going to cut off access to Howard no, because you not at, not at all. I'm not, uh, I'm not surprised at all. This is how." You know, the phrase blaming the messenger is a cliche for a reason. Mm. Um, and if you do this for a while, um, it, it's not uncommon to be attacked. It, it's almost a, a distraction. You know, if this debate becomes about whether you can trust me, about whether journalists are, you know, if it's about ethics and soccer journalism, 
Um, that's a win for Sporting Kansas City. You know, this is PR. And they had, you know, they said this long before the CBA was ratified. Mm-hmm. And they were exposed. They, they had hundreds of thousands of reasons to try and quash that quote. Um, we don't have though, you know, when you look at incentives over, you know, what's my incentive to make up a quote about this guy and what's his incentive to deny that the quote was said. Um, I'm I'm very comfortable with where we stand on that. Well, Robert, I think it's uh, even if uh, I certainly don't think that your uh, credibility is in question. And uh, but I would say that the that the knowledgeable MLS fan who maybe doesn't even know you necessarily, but comes across your piece and reads this quote, Mm -hmm. doesn't have any problem reconciling reconciling that quote with the the reality of MLS. And the quote in question for anybody who hasn't read the piece is this is uh, Rob Heineman in the box at Sporting Kansas City while Robert's there with Marcelo Corre. It says, if labor ever tells us they're going to strike, we'd be like, fine, we'll replace each and every one of you. Again, it doesn't surprise me at all. This is what rich, this is what rich owners talk about to themselves, um, which is interesting. You know, when he said it, my eyebrows went up. Um, (laughs) He, 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 I, I'm going to give the context because I know a lot of uh, a lot of the readers and a lot a lot of your listeners probably want to know how this came about. Um, so I'm I'm in the I'm in, it's at halftime of the game. I'm with Clary in the Sprint box, which is like like if you're the president of Sprint in Kansas City, you're like the king of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a pretty sweet life, and yeah, like one of the owners came in to introduce himself and Clary introduces me and we talk about Howler for a while and Illich says, Oh, my son reads it. And I said, I was there working for Clary, working on a story about Clary. And then Rob Heineman comes in and starts talking. He doesn't ask who I am. Uh, and he just starts saying this stuff and he left me with the limit. Like, you know, should I throw myself on and said, Hey, don't say anything interesting. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and Illig didn't say anything. Clara didn't say anything. I'm a journalist. I'm in, out in the open. And um, what am I supposed to do when he says something like that? Should I ignore it? Um, and what? And that, you know, long before publication, we call. I called him. I called up Sporting Kansas City to request to talk to him to say, look, you know, we have this quote, and I don't want him to feel ambushed when it shows up in print. Mm-hmm. And they immediately went over my head and went to George, the editor of Howler. And they tried bargaining at first, and then they went to straight-up bullying, you know? I think it's over the top. I think it's notable how nuclear they went over this. Um, you know, we really have, we, you know, we have profound objections to the unethical way that you reported this. Oh, and yeah, it's not true either. We didn't say that. You know, it's just it's kind of ridiculous to me. Well, I, again, I mean, I, I think if I think the reaction is is uh is disproportionate to what the their actual issues go i mean it's not going to cause much of a ripple andrew i mean i i mean, well, Robert- I, mean I could you know if, if i wanted to be inflammatory i mean that was in october i could have tweeted it that day uh, exactly. you know and how exactly. i sat on this for a long time um not strategic you know but it's like this isn't an attempt to screw over sporting Kansas city. It's just not. And, and um, I think this is yeah. a lesson though. And I, I, I imagine Rob Heineman knows this and maybe he just had a, a slip, a, a slip of that day, but if you're in the present, you know? if you're in the presence, yeah. if you're in the presence of a journalist, assume that your words are on the record. I mean, there's, that, but he didn't, I mean, no, I mean, this is where he's, he didn't know I was a journalist. Well, I mean, again, but I guess at that the point, people he, there did. Yeah. Right. He said it. And then I, 
you know, I called them back later to try and, you know, communicate with them. And, you know, and then, you know, when then the bargaining, they're like, look, we'll give you a, a real interview. And I'm like, that's not, that's not why we called. We called to let you know that this quota is going to be in the, yeah, in the that, look, I, I, I'm disappointed. On the, I'm disappointed by the reaction of sporting Kansas city. I found them. And I know George has said this on Twitter as well. I found them to be responsive and cooperative with, uh, you know, with us. And we're very independent, low level media around this, uh, around this game. And, and I, I don't think they should be shutting anybody out. And certainly not Howler magazine. I don't think they should be either, but I, I, I'm not surprised by it. They have to do what they have to do. Um, they, they have to protect their own interests and they're protecting their own interests and they're using a nuclear threat to try and get us to not even run the quote. And we'll see how it goes from here forward. Uh, you know, I, we, we stand by the quote without any doubt. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll go, I'll go down with a ship on this quote. Robert, uh, I, don't, I wish I had all day to talk to you. I don't have to let you go, but I but I want to. I, I know, I know you. Don't. I know you got. You're, you're yeah. a busy man, and this is what I want to get to as I let you go here. The final question is: Look, this is this is not this is not the most difficult thing you've ever written. It's not the most controversial no. thing that you'll ever write. It's certainly not going to be, uh, you know, a, a a big deal for you in your career. But do you find yourself taking anything away in terms of the? the soccer element of it, uh, especially in the U S and as it relates to MLS. I mean, I, this thing really blew up and that, that's a sign of the vitality of soccer in the U S and we all know that though, you know, I mean, we're well beyond congratulating ourselves for being a mature game, but yeah, this, yeah I mean, people care about soccer but, and we know that. And it's just a sign, you know, there's so many people found one thing or another in this story that, that inflamed them. And that's, um, I mean, I can't look at that as anything but positive, of course. Robert Andrew Powell, a writer at uh, Howler Magazine with his piece on uh, Marcella Clore, MLS in Miami. Again, go check. Uh, it, it was on longform.org. Uh, I don't know if it's still, is it still there? It's going to be there forever? Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be there. Okay. But you the should buy, the, time. buy yeah. the magazine. Absolutely go buy the magazine. Either, whether you buy this issue or get a subscription to Howler, you should be doing that as well. And by the way, uh, make sure you pick up This Love is Not for Cowards, Salvation and Soccer in Ciudad Juarez, which is Robert's uh, fantastic book on soccer in Mexico. Robert, thank you for your time, man. I appreciate it. And thank you, Jason. There you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk about that. We can talk about MLS. We'll talk about the El Clasico situation. Whatever. Whatever's on your mind. 347-756-6276 or hit us up at Soccer Morning. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Uh, that was interesting stuff there from Robert Andrew Powell. I mean, look, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, so much to so much to cover there. It's not just about the the, the, the inflammatory quotes Rob Heineman talking about striking players and replacing them, and Clore saying that MLS is communist. Again, I, that that is an analogy used repeatedly by American soccer fans when it comes to MLS. It's used repeatedly by European soccer figures when it comes to the difference between the American setup and the way that European football works. That's more communist. This is more capitalist. That's just the way that, that this works. I don't think there's any issue there with that with that quote. And I'm not sure that anybody should be surprised by what Rob Heidemann said. 
And no one should be surprised by the reaction of Sporting Kansas City. Again, I'm disappointed in the reaction. It's it, it, it's a little sad that a magazine like Howler is being castigated in public by an MLS team for something that one of their principals said. That's not cool. But at the same time, again, would you be shocked if anybody, and I mean anybody, Joey Saputo, uh, Merritt Paulson, uh, anybody up in Seattle, I, I mean, who? obviously Clark Hunt's going to say stuff like that all the time. We know that. Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. Justin Tolstoy FC pointing out that we're talking all about a mes- domestic uh, soccer MLS on the day after the El Classic uh, after El Clasico, and yeah, we are a little bit uh, mostly because I didn't get a chance to see a lot of El Clasico yesterday, and that's that's on me. But I had a busy Sunday. I couldn't carve out the time. Sundays are are nuts, so I didn't get to carve out the time to watch the game. If it had it happened earlier in the day. I probably would have watched it, but this is what they do now in Spain. They put these games at, what is that, like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock local time, Trevor, so that they can maximize that that, that ch- uh, Chinese audience, the, East, the far, far East audience. Washington, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Jason? And hey, listen, I just wanted to touch upon, first of all, I wanted to say, well, I don't know if it's premature and I want to jinx it, but just in case, I wanted to say congratulations to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hear about the announcement happened on Wednesday. I think I can put two and two together. So I just want to congratulate them. And I wanted to say that because of what I'm about to say. Um, when it, you know, one of the things that concerned me about this weekend when I saw the interview in halftime during the San Jose game with Don Garber was about him, oh, we're going to have a meeting, you know, we went from 10 to 16 to 20 to 24, well, you know, we don't know where this is going to go. This is starting to, to me, because I love this league, and one of the downfalls of the old North American Soccer League was, know. you know, know. super expansion, know. and I'm just worried that, that may, this may be the beginning well, of that, and what, you know, do you have any thoughts, something to comfort me, saying, nah, don't the, worry about the only it, thing it's going to be okay, or, or what? The only thing I'll say to comfort you is that I do believe that MLS is much more diligent with the with, with the people that they are allowing to buy into this league. And when I say allowing, obviously they're taking checks. And you could you could be cynical about it and say MLS is is just trying to to scoop up these expansion fees, and it's about greed and it's about profit. Fine, you can do that. But I do think that the individuals involved, and the people behind these teams, are not the type of people who scrape together $500,000 the way that those NASL ownerships did, then attempt to make money you know, by selling tickets to pay their players. We're not talking hand-to-mouth here, Washington. We're talking about guys who are legitimately wealthy. And, again, and then the other thing that, that, again, you can hate it all you want. You can think that it's retarding the growth of MLS on the world stage, and I would agree with you in, for the most part, but it does, protect, it does indemnify the league a little bit on the expansion front is single entity. They are sharing these costs, Washington. It's not one guy putting a team in Minnesota and, oh my gosh, if we don't sell enough tickets, we're not going to make our payroll and the team's going to go under. This is the league saying, we're, we're, we're pooling our resources so that you can have this team and the chances that you fold are almost nil at this point. Now, we obviously have a history with two teams being folded. Chivas USA went away. Chivas USA went away because... <laughs> they were a disaster at the gate. Right, reflected. right. And I don't consider them folding. It's just a rebrand at this point. Sure, so. fair, fair enough. So that's the only thing I can say, Washington, is that while I understand that people are, are getting concerned about overexpansion, I think your your concern should be more in the filling the, the talent vacuum 
element of it than necessarily about the league going anywhere. I, I don't think the league's going anywhere. All right, my man. Thanks. I, I appreciate it, Washington. Washington up in New York. And uh, Auntie's on the line. What's up, Auntie? Hey, Jason. Um, three quick questions. Um, uh, should we read anything into uh, Bayern Munich's loss to uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach? Ah, no. And, uh, why? <laughs> why would we read anything to, into that? They're, they're going to, to coast to, to the Bundesliga title, right? And they, they're still a good bet in the Champions League. I, I, I don't know why you would read anything to, into that. Uh, it, everybody's got a blip every now and then, right? Right. But they've been so dominant this year. You can't, you can't win right. them all. And, uh, yeah. you, can't, you certainly can't win them all, and very few teams go through entire seasons with uh, with one loss or two losses. And they, they may go they may go the rest of the way. They've lost two games. I, I, I understand. It's not like it's not like Mönchengladbach is a bottom feeder in the, in the Bundesliga either, right? No, they are in third yep. in the league, so on a spot for for Champions League next year. Uh, and that's going to be a mo- if they make it. That's going to be a mouthful for the announcers. <laughs> announcers. Yeah, there you next go. Year. You got yeah. anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. Uh, did you see Juan Mata's goal against Liverpool? I saw the first one. Did I see the second one? I, I, I uh, there's so many highlights, man. There's so many. The volley. Yes, right. The, okay. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's oh the amazing volley. Yes, I, I yeah. did see that. See, it's it's in there. I watched so much stuff this week, and I had so many things to do. It's in there. I just had to remember exactly where you know what was going on at the time. Yeah, fantastic goal by Juan Mata, and and United yeah. looked United looked good. United looked dangerous. United looked confident in that game against Liverpool, and 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 maybe it's different if it's Chelsea or or City, uh, maybe a, a little bit different. But you have to give Bengal credit at this point. They they have they're in position to reclaim some of their stature. They're not going to go for a title, but they, they have a Champions League spot sort of in their crosshairs. There's every reason to think that, that Manchester United is going to be Manchester United again as early as next year. True. I, I truly else? hope so that it will happen like that. All right, there you uh, go. And and the last small quick thing is that uh, I saw that the U.S. Open Cup uh, field is now set. Are you going to have Josh Hakala or someone? Sure, absolutely. To talk we'll, about we'll, it we'll bring Josh. Uh, we'll bring Josh back on the show uh, from U.S. Uh, Open. Uh, U- sorry, the Cup. U.S. I always get that wrong. The Cup. U.S. Uh, sort of to set the stage for that. I'm sure in the near future. Um, obviously, the early stages of the tournament involve a lot of teams and, and sort of amateur sides that a lot of people don't know about. But that's uh, that's where it's most fascinating, I think. And and then uh, down the road into the summer, we'll. Add those uh, NASL, USL, MLS teams and, and see how it goes. Absolutely. Right. All right. Thanks for the phone call, Anthony. Appreciate it, man. I, I, Bye. Yeah, there you go. Um, the announcement of, M- of Minnesota United joining MLS or the Minnesota bid being accepted into MLS has been confirmed. Uh, major League Soccer and Dr. Bill McGuire to make major announcement Wednesday, says a press release in my inbox right now. It does not say expansion, but everybody knows that. Connect the dots. Why not just say it's an expansion announcement? But Wednesday, March 25th at uh, at 10:15, uh, I'm sorry, 11 a.m. Central Time. So it'll be noon here on the East Coast at Target Field. Uh, Minnesota United will be announced as a new expansion franchise. Five one three, you're on the air. Hey man, it's Mike from uh, Cincinnati. What's going on, Mike? Um, first off, great, great show, great guests today. It. Yeah. Um, it's been it's been really cool listening in. Um, Mike kind of question is, you know, in light of all of the expansion that's going on and everything, uh, I know that David Beckham, as part of his whole 
you know, DP contract, he got the opportunity to buy into you know, the franchise at a at a lower rate. Um, with so many people, so many groups that are investing a hundred million dollars, does the league really need uh, David Beckham uh, in Miami, or can they maybe just look, you know, look to kind of get this thing to get quashed and, and maybe bring in a different Miami investing group that can actually pay? Another seventy-five million dollars, or whatever. I don't. I don't think uh, the. No, I don't it, think the money is the issue, Mike. I don't think the league necessarily cares so much about the expansion fee in Miami. I think the league cares about Miami, and I think they care about David Beckham, and I think they want to tie. You know, obviously the guy did wonders for MLS when he joined in two thousand seven. I think that the league continues to see their partnership with David Beckham, which has obviously faded away until he got into mm-hmm. the Miami expansion bid. I think they see that as a benefit to the league, and I think they want to be in bed with David Beckham. And if he's got this option and he wants Miami, then they want Miami. Do you think it's worth $75 million, just just brand Beckham? Uh, I mean, I, that's debatable. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. he certainly brings a lot of uh, notoriety to the league. I mean, you're, you're seeing you're seeing the, the number of, of big European stars that are coming over. Clearly, he, he blazed that trail. His mm-hmm. presence here, I, I mean, if you, I think on paper, and this is interesting, and, and again, Robert points out that maybe David Beckham being an absentee, absentee guy, when he says he'll run the team, that is a little questionable. We'll have to see if he would actually do that. But on paper, a, a Miami team with a some sort of, you know, a, attractive urban stadium with, with David Beckham actually pulling the strings, that is a, that is a, a magnet for European talent. It is. It's a magnet. Mm-hmm. They already go down there for vacation anyway. Now you've got one of the most famous players in the history of the game, whether he was the best or not is beyond the point. One of the most famous players in the history of the game, a guy who represents glitz and glamour in mm-hmm. that town. That's that's why MLS wants him. Yeah. And, okay. that's, and that's why MLS is willing to go uh, forego $75 million to do it. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for it, and uh, hopefully uh, I can watch Sporting Kansas City score going here sometime. Yeah, there you go. Mike so, from, uh, Mike from right. Cincy. Thanks. Appreciate the call. 347-756-6276. Just a couple more minutes here. Uh, John on Twitter. Remember, uh, Don Garber said in the offseason he wants MLS to be more transparent. Howlers and, uh, Howler and others are good for the league. Don't hide. I, I would agree with that. When, when Obviously, when Don Garber said that the league needed to be more transparent, he was done by the rules. And I don't know. Have we seen? Have we seen an explanation of allocation? Have we seen the league shore up, clarify, make available some of the more Byzantine rules that they have? I don't think. I don't think so. Hello, is this thing on? How does all of this stuff work? I don't know. Glancing Header says uh, Minnesota United to MLS for sure. Who's paying for the required stadium? Uh, uh, there's a public-private partnership. I believe uh, Bill McGuire will pay for most of it. There's got an option on land, according to our friend Brian Korstad up in Minnesota. We had on last week. So there you go. I, I mean, I think this thing is a, is pretty much a done deal. We'll see what the de- what details come out on Wednesday when they hold this press conference again at Target Field in uh, Minneapolis. Um, but it's a uh, it, MLS said, give, give Don Garber credit for this, okay? Whether you believe in the expansion program or not. When he said, we want to target the Southeast, they hit the Southeast pretty hard. Atlanta, well, obviously Orlando now. Atlanta, they're, they're still focused on Miami. And then he said, we want to go in, you know, want to open up the Midwest a little bit more. 
Yeah, Minnesota. That's that's pretty much Minneapolis St. Paul is pretty much the city on the northern plains. I don't think there's anybody else in in the Midwest that really makes a lot of sense. St. Louis is farther south and yet they don't have a, an ownership group backing them yet. So if with Don Garber says the league's going to expand into a certain area, it's probably going to happen. 407, last call. What's up? Hey, this is Mark from Orlando. How you doing? What's going on, Mark? Um, I, I wanted to get your opinion, I guess just your, your unbiased opinion on whether or not you think Miami in the first place is good for the league. Um, I'm actually an Orlando City fan. I love them. But I think that to have Miami in the league would actually benefit um, our stand in the league for a little bit because I think – to have a natural rivalry where it's only four hours away and you can go down there for road games, they can come up for road games here, I think it would be absolutely tremendous for this portion of the country. Now, whether or not that helps the entire MLS, I don't know. Yeah. You know, and that's maybe the opinion that I would like to hear from you because well, I, mean, like I, said, I think it I think it does. I, I like I just outlined for Mike. I, I think that Miami with Beckham at the helm, and, and maybe Miami without Beckham, I don't know. I I, I doubt I think it would it obviously adds some cachet to have him being the guy out front. But Miami, with Beckham at the helm, is a magnet for, you know, uh, European players who might not consider jumping over anyway. Uh, otherwise. When when Ronaldo says, I'm coming in 2017, or rumors are out that Ronaldo says he's coming in 2017, we obviously hear, oh, well, he's interested in New York. Okay, duh. He's interested in L.A. Okay, duh. <laughs> and he's interested in Miami. Wait, Miami doesn't even have a team yet. Why is he interested in Miami? Uh, because it's Miami? And this is why MLS wants to be in South Florida because of the glamour, glamorous nature of the city, because of how attractive it is and how well-known it is around the world, and especially to a lot of these players, not just European, but South American as well. I mean, it, it is a sort of a Latin capital, and I think that they believe it could be the lynch, linchpin of pushing the league forward from a talent perspective. Yeah, I mean, even if you look at from our from our perspective, Orlando, like you've seen over the last couple of months, just the the amount of rumors that come out, like you know, the Rossi or Mario Balotelli, even how, as ridiculous as it sounds, there's still rumors that are attached to a team in Florida, and I think, from my perspective as an Orlando City fan, that that only helps us when we have this type of notoriety down here in the in the yeah, well, in the look, state. To, it's you know, a, it's it's, get player players, maybe, it's obviously a risk, and, and look, I, I am I'm sort of wishy washy on Miami. I, I think if you put the stadium in the right location, it could work. And and as as people who uh, you know Ray Hudson lives there, and he tells Robert Andrew Powell it can work, but you got to hit every bullseye. Like you have to hit all of the marks right on the mark. Otherwise, you risk putting a team in a bad situation. Where maybe the stadiums are half, or the stadium is half filled. Maybe they're playing in a bad location because they can't get a stadium built. You don't, you don't want to force it. And and I think that yeah. MLS is the one thing I can say so far is that it doesn't seem like MLS is forcing it. That they are being extremely careful. And in and Don Garber's comments in San Jose yesterday indicated as much. He said uh, it's got to be the right stadium plan. Um, these folks are going to sell out every game, and when you have the right stadium plan and the right environment, we have success. We don't have that yet. David and his partners are doing a great job of trying to get it done. Obviously, that's debatable. We'll be there in the next couple of weeks. Hope hope, uh, hope to be able to get something done. So he's got some. He, he's trying to give a an optimistic spin on this. But again, if it's not exactly right, don't do it because you don't want an apathetic Miami fan base pulling the league down. Yeah, and the last thing, it, I mean, to that point, you know, let's say they come in and they have a good couple of years, what's going to happen if 
they start to struggle, you know? I mean, I guess if you, if you attach this to any new team that comes in the league, but, you know, I feel like from an Orlando perspective, when I look down at Miami, I say, you know, it's a place where, you know, from a, from a cultural standpoint, you know, it's, it's a sports town that, for me, it, it, it can, when it's good, it's great. But when it's bad, it's really bad. Yeah, and that's the no, thing sure. I look at with them. It's like, in a couple years' time, you know, what's going to happen if they have struggles and they can't get out of gate and they can't maybe re-sign a, a, a big star? Something happens where, you know, they don't get the guy that they want to get. You know, what's going to happen after that? Yeah, I appreciate the so. phone call, Mark. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Monday. Big start to the week. Thank you very much to Charlie Bohm. And Robert Andrew Powell for their appearances. Make sure you go to backheel.com slash store and buy yourself a lovely Soccer Morning mug. I'm seeing lots of pictures on Twitter. That's very cool. You can get a t-shirt for Soccer Morning at 3nilfc.com. Fantastic design over there. We'll look into new colors. People are concerned about colors, Trevor. People want different colors. I, we'll, we'll work that out. I promise. Follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Make sure uh, you hit us up on iTunes. WorldSoccerTalk.com is your home for the show every weekday morning from 10 to 11.15. And that's it. I'm out. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye.